Hello and a warm welcome. Let me start by saying Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there and to those of you that are fulfilling that role. And more importantly, to each one of you. You have a Father in Heaven that loves you unconditionally and delights in you. Thank you for doing church with us via Riverside Online, especially if you are new. We would love to connect with you personally, so please use our Connect With Us link on the website so we can be in touch. Also, should you have any needs, this is a good way to get in touch with us. Happy Father's Day, everyone. Now, we as a church have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and I think it is so apt that we arrive at this passage today on Father's Day. See, when we think about our fathers, we we want to remember them, we want to honor them, and we want to thank God for them. Now, some of you today, you think of your fathers with pride and with joy. man, And you know that so much of the success of who you are today is because they loved you and they cared for you and they were there for you. Yet some of us, we maybe don't think of our fathers with as much happiness. Maybe there's a lot of pain in the relationship. Or maybe for whatever reason, he just wasn't there. Or maybe he was physically there, but he wasn't there in the ways that you needed him. Now, I know for me, I turned 40 this year and I've been fathering for just over 10 years. And I I like to think that I've learned a thing or two about fathering. But here's what I have definitely learned, and that is that I am an imperfect father. You see, I absolutely try my best, and there are ways that I'm trying to improve myself as a father. However, I don't see everything I need to see. I don't know everything I need to know. There's like complex things going on inside of me. And for those reasons and many, many more, I am an imperfect father. But today's message is not about the perfection or the imperfection of fathers. It is going to be about prayer. However, here is something that I think is true of every single one of us. And I think this is true that even if you're not a Christian and you're watching online, this may even be true of you. And that is this, that we tend to look at our heavenly father through the lens of our experience of our earthly fathers. And so if you had a healthy relationship with your earthly father, you probably connect in healthy ways to your father in heaven. However, if you've got a painful relationship with your earthly father, you probably struggle to connect with your heavenly father. And maybe that relationship too is full of pain. If your father was absent, maybe you feel like God is not there for you, that God is absent, that God's got better things to do with his time. Now, we have been going through, as I said, the Sermon on the Mount, and this is early on in Jesus' ministry, and he's been teaching about a number of things. He's going to continue to teach about a number of things, but there's something that's kind of come up that I want to draw our attention to, and that is just how quickly and how easily Jesus refers to God as Father. Not just Father, you know, some of us have seen Downton Abbey, this like formal Father. No, no, he uses the word in Aramaic as Abba. Abba is kind of like the, the closest thing we've got. It's a term of affection. It's, it's like dad or daddy. You see, for the Jews of the time, this was brand new. Maybe this is not new to you. You've been a Christian and you're like, yes, Jesus is the son of God. He can call dad. Uh, he can call God his father. 
But for the Jews, man, God was holy, God was righteous, God was almighty, but they never called him father and they most definitely didn't call him dad. And yet Jesus just talks to him in such familiar terms. And I believe one of the things that Jesus wants to do in the Sermon on the Mount and particularly in today's passage is to lead us towards the kind of relationship where we have the same relationship with our Heavenly Father that He has with His Heavenly Father. And while today is about prayer, I believe undergirding the whole concept of prayer is how we experience God as Father So let's read together Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 5, and uh, we'll go from there. So Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So just briefly, in this little section here, Jesus warns us about two traps when it comes to our prayer. And the gist of both of these traps are this. Don't pray to impress Don't pray to impress. And the first trap he warns us about is, don't pray to impress man. This is, we are particularly prone to this when we pray in public. So um, when we pray in church or when we pray in prayer meetings or when we pray in life group or at churches or at work or whatever. Now, don't think Jesus is against public prayer. In fact, Jesus encourages and the scriptures encourage in many ways corporate prayer. But what he is warning about us about is when you pray, just listen, check your heart first. Because just try and understand it is the main reason why you're getting up to pray Again, is, is the main reason because you want to stand up there and, and there's just something in your heart whereby you want others to look at you and go, wow, look how spiritual that, that person is and, and look how great they are and I wish I could be like them. Now, let me tell you that this can be so subtle. I mean, I'm a pastor and, and for that reason, I'm regularly praying in public and I found myself on a number of occasions, and I'm not proud to admit this, where I'm praying and either in the middle of the prayer or afterwards, there's something in me that just goes, ah, Stephen, you nailed it. And, and there, I can feel a pride rising up in me and, and God has, has had to meet me in those moments. They say, Stephen, you got your motives wrong. And so one of the words that helps me just correct myself when it comes to prayer, whether it's prayer on my own in my closet or prayer in front of other people, whether it's 10 people or hundreds of people, is the word sincerity. Can I just ensure that my heart is sincere and that the things that come out of my heart and then eventually out of my mouth towards God, again, whether the people there or not, can I just try and pray with the Spirit? of sincerity so that's the first trap the second trap is don't pray to impress God and Jesus says you know sometimes there's something in us that says well maybe if I pray more then God will hear me and then then God will answer my prayer 
And, and sometimes we just go on and on and on. And, and sometimes we do that in front of others. Sometimes we even do that on our own. But we're believing this lie that the more I pray and the longer I pray, I can get God to do what I want him to do. And so while the word sincerity helps me when it comes to trying to impress others, when it comes to this trap, the word that helps me is the word dependence. I need to pray with dependence. And that's going to transform how I pray. Now, Jesus says, well, here's the thing. You think that the longer you pray, you're going to get God to hear you. He says, but here's the thing. God knows what you need even before you utter a single word. And so I know that people get tripped up by this and they say, well, why do I need to pray then? I mean, if God knows what I'm going to ask for before I even ask for it, why do I need to pray? And I believe that this just, again, this highlights maybe a different kind of a trap that we can fall into where we think that prayer is exclusively about the transaction. So I come to God, I put the coin in the magic slot and he gives me what I ask for. Now, if that is all that prayer is, then yes, let us go about our business without even coming to God for anything because he knows what I need and then he just gives me what I need. But the point of prayer is not the transaction. The point of prayer is the relationship. And here's what we need to grow in as we pray is where you become aware of what you need. And then you come to the God who is the ultimate source of what you need. And then you declare your dependence upon him, which requires humility on one hand and faith on the other hand, as I declare my needs on the one who is the source of my needs. And then I start to grow in relationship with this good father who gives me all that I need. See, Jesus is not against long prayers in principle. In fact, he actually teaches in many times on persistent prayer. However, there is a big difference between persistently praying to God in faith and with courage or just praying long prayers in the hope that maybe the longer I pray, God will hear me and give me what I need. And so those are the traps that Jesus warns us about. And so he says, well... <laughs> You want to know how to pray? Let me teach you how to pray. And he starts off with what we have come to know as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And he starts off with these two words, which I believe are so important and undergird the entire heart of prayer and the entire heart of the Lord's Prayer. And these are these two words, Our Father. Now, J.R. Packer, who was kind of like a pastoral and theological giant, he wrote this. He said, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. And I think I tend to agree with everything that he said here. And so Jesus wants to train us to see God as a good father. And that is going to most powerfully happen in prayer. So let's read. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I believe this prayer helps us understand God as Father in a number of different ways. And firstly, as we, start, as we look at this opening line, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I believe Jesus is helping us to see God as Almighty Father. Almighty Father. And I love those words, Almighty Father. Almighty makes me think that God is able. Father makes me think that God is willing. God is able and God is willing. He is our Almighty Father. And as we look at this line, I think we start to see that God is both approachable and powerful. He's approachable as Father. He's powerful as one who is heaven and he's got this holiness about him. So he's approachable, meaning I get to come into his presence. I don't have to come kneeling and bowing and scraping, but I can come into his presence and receive warmth and love and compassion. And he is powerful. And so we look at his holiness. We look at his majesty. We look at his transcendence. In these two words, we see that God is someone who wants to give. He's a good father. He wants to give. He wants to pour out. He wants to love. But because he's also powerful, he's one we give to. He's one we adore. He's one we love. He is almighty father. Secondly, as we look at these lines, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe Jesus is helping us see God as an effective father. So as I reflect on these verses, I mean, there's so much we could say, but I believe that there is such a paradigm shift that needs to happen in our hearts as we pray here. Because I think if you had to analyze most of our prayers, even if we don't necessarily say these words, I think the content of our prayers can so often be summarized by my kingdom come. My will be done and God help my kingdom to come and God help my will to be done. I want you to notice how us praying that his kingdom comes, comes long before, not long before, comes just before us asking God for a whole lot of stuff. Andrew Murray, who was a South African Christian writer in the 1800s, he says that we find the Christian life so difficult because we seek for God's blessing while we live in our own will, we should be glad to live the Christian life according to our own liking. And I believe amongst the many things going on here, this part of this prayer is helping us understand that being a Christian is more about me being included in God's plans than me including God in my plans. And so the goal is, the more I pray this, again, every single day is I'm training myself to align myself to God's will. And so before I start asking questions like, Lord, what do I do in this situation? You know, who do I meet with over here? You know, where should I move or help me understand this particular difficulty in my life? We could call that God's specific will. And a lot of us start with God's specific will. But before I start asking those questions, I need to be starting asking questions about God's general will. Meaning, God, what are you doing in this world? What is the big picture that you're revealing here? Or what does your word say about what you are wanting to do in this world and how you're wanting to include me in that? 
And I think that we will find that the more we align ourselves with God's will and God's kingdom, and the more I am participating with God in his kingdom, the more I will find I am being led not just along God's general will, but also along God's specific will for my life. And so God is not just up there in heaven just waiting to answer prayers. He's active in this world. He is an effective father and he wants to include you in that. And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thirdly, this prayer helps us understand that we have a generous father. You see, once you've prayed, your kingdom come, your will will be done. We do get to pray the prayer. Now give us, give us today our daily bread. But now here's how I believe these two ideas link up. 1 John 5 verses 14 to 15 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. This verse helps us understand how we can have effective prayers. And the way we can have effective prayers is by praying his kingdom and his will. And we know when we ask anything according to his will, he's going to give it to us. But in doing that, God wants us to see him as a generous father. He is this almighty father. He is transcendent and he's also close and he is loving and he's effective and at work in this world and he wants to include us in his work in his world and he wants to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. And so he teaches us to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Now, for many people, this is exclusively kind of a financial thing. And I think this is so much more than, um, you know, just thinking about Father's Day. Growing up and maybe even as an adult, there are moments when I go to my own father and I'm like, listen, Dad, I'm a bit short in this situation. Can you help me out? And I believe this prayer is about so much more than our financial needs. It includes our financial needs. But here's the thing. When I wake up every day, there's so much more that I need for life and godliness than money. You see, maybe I have some difficult situations before me. Maybe I have some tough choices. Maybe there are things in my life that I'm wrestling with. And so what I need for that day, my daily bread, is, is stuff that only God can give. So I come to him. Give me what I need today. Give me the strength that I need today. Give me the courage that I need to, today. Give me the perspective that I need today. Give me your word to nourish me for today. Give me your presence to be with me today. And we could go on and on and on. In short, everything that I need for today, I get from the hands of God. And so Jesus teaches me to see God as a generous father who wants to give me everything that I need. And here's the thing. That whole list that I went on about, I know that God wants to give me those things. And so I can pray those prayers with confidence in a generous father. Number four, we have a gracious father. Forgive us our debtors. We also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I went to an all-boys primary school. And the most scary moment for any of the boys was to be called to the principal's office because that was never for a good reason that is always because you did something wrong 
Now, when things go wrong in our own lives and, and when we drop the ball and when we are struggling with sin and with issues in our lives, I think sometimes we feel like, man, if I go to God, it's going to feel like I'm going to the principal's office. And, and we come to God with shame and we come to God with kind of nervousness and fear. And Jesus wants to teach us that, man, when we come to God every single day, we are going to find him to be not the scary principal we might imagine him to be. But rather, he is a gracious father, meaning he is full of grace, meaning it doesn't matter what I did today. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. I come to him and I say, forgive me my sins. And he pours out grace upon me and forgives me. And then I come tomorrow with a new set of failures and a new set of shortcomings. And I'm afraid once again. And then I discover, man, but he is a gracious, good father. And he forgives me and pours out grace upon me. And then, you know, in a few days' time, I, I don't want to come to God because of the size and the immensity of my failures and my sin. But then I come to Him as Jesus teaches me, and I find Him again to be gracious. And I believe this is so powerful to transform me. You see, over time, I believe it changes how I see my Father. And if I have any skew visions of who my Heavenly Father is, the more I experience him as a gracious father, eventually I'm going to start to believe that he is a gracious father. And that, yes, when I have failed, instead of running from him, I get to run to him because I know he's a gracious father. I believe this also changes how I pray because instead of praying because I have to, I pray because I want to, because I want to be in the presence of the God who pours grace upon me and gives me everything that I need for the day, including my forgiveness. I also believe that the more we come to see God as a gracious father, the more sin loses its power in my life. The more I experience God's goodness, the more I experience grace, the more I experience that being in my father's presence is the place I want to be. The more that shame loses its power in my life and the more sin loses its power in my life. Which leads us to the next part where I believe that we discover God as a saving father and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. See, I think the more I trust my father's will, the more I submit to my father's will and his kingdom and his ways, the more I see him as a generous father, as, a, as an almighty father and a gracious father, the more I walk with him in all things, I believe we start, we're going to start to find that we get led away from temptation and the snares and the traps of the evil one. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll never be tempted again as a Christian. In fact, this side of heaven, I think that's almost a guarantee. But it does mean that as God takes me by the hand and in all areas of my life, not only the areas of my sin, that God is helping me navigate this difficult life. And I'm walking with him in his will and his ways. And along the way, I'm just discovering freedom from temptation and the snares of the evil one. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, he just puts it a different way. He says, live by the spirits and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I believe this is tomato, tomato. It's saying exactly the same thing. And so if you want to see sin lose its power in your life, I believe the starting point for your prayer life is not at this part of the Lord's Prayer, but at the top. Again, Sounds like I'm belaboring the point, but I'm doing that intentionally. 
that in order for sin to lose his power in my life, I see God as a good father who welcomes me into his presence and gives me love and compassion, but he's also an almighty transcendent God. He's an effective father. He's at work in this world. He's including me in his story, and I'm being part of his will and his kingdom. He's also providing everything that I need for life and goodness, uh, godliness, and I'm seeing that tangibly. I'm experiencing grace upon grace every single day. And then I'm discovering the truth of being not led into temptation and being led away from the power of the evil one. Now, I know that people can reduce Christianity to this kind of closed-minded, bigoted religion that's anti, 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 anti everything. And that's kind of the end. But as I, as I look at this prayer and what Jesus is trying to get us to see and to know experientially with God as our Father, I'm just absolutely convinced that isn't this what the human heart wants? Isn't this what the human heart needs? I mean, this is something so powerful and compelling that God wants to relate to us as that kind of father. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that those of us who are fathers are imperfect fathers, and we've had imperfect fathers. And I mentioned earlier that this can become a struggle for how we connect to God as father. But I believe this prayer is powerful to reshape our understanding, but also our experience of the truth of who God actually is as our Father. And so I want to end off with this powerful quote by Louis Giglio who said this. He said, We need to go from God being a reflection of our earthly Father to the perfection of our earthly fathers. Instead of my understanding of God being limited by what I've experienced in earth or even experienced of myself, I get taken far beyond that and I discover fully that God is a perfect, loving, good Father. Now why don't you take some time to pray this prayer. Have your Bible open in front of you and have the prayer prompts on the screen in front of you. I'm going to encourage you, don't just read the prayer verbatim or say it the way that you know it. Allow this prayer and allow the contents of this message to become a springboard for you to discover who God is as your Father and that you can bring all your needs before Him today. Thanks for watching. If you've missed any of these sermons in the series, you can go to the YouTube channel Riverside Community SA, watch, like, and share. Have a wonderful day.